Once I walked into a office supply store, one of those large warehouse stores, and um, I was I came there with a list of office supplies that I needed, and so I entered the store and began looking for the correct aisle to begin my shopping. As usual in most retail establishments, there was music playing overhead, but I was not focused on the music. I was focused on my shopping list and what I needed to get there. But quickly I became focused on the music that was playing overhead because it was stuck in like a two second loop where it kept repeating the same two seconds of music over and over and over and over again. And I just kind of sat there waiting for somebody to fix it, waiting for somebody who worked there to address the problem. And for those of you who are too young to know this, we used to listen to music encoded on plastic discs called CDs. And if they got scratched, it would do this. And so I assumed the CD was scratched and somebody would either move to the next track or replace it or whatever. But the entire time I was in the store, it did this. And I was actually shopping for a desk in, in addition to the, like, the basic supplies I needed. So I spent time in the, on the floor looking at the various desks they sold. I was there for a long time. And the entire time I was there, these same two seconds kept repeating over and over and over again. And nobody did anything about it. So finally, when I was ready to check out and buy my items, I walk up to the front of the store, I put my stuff down on the counter, and the guy begins scanning it. And I say, by the way, maybe you can't hear it, but the music is, is, is repeating. It's kind of like stuck. And the guy said to me, yeah, the music here stinks. So he didn't even hear what I had to say. He was so used to not listening to the music in the store that he didn't even notice the problem nor did he take it in, nor did he receive the information I was trying to give him. I was trying to help the guy out. I was trying to, to point out something in the store that needed to be fixed, that needed to be addressed, that was super annoying to me, the customer. But this guy was so tuned into his own thoughts and so tuned out of what was going on around him that he heard what I said. He knew I was talking about the music, but he didn't receive the message. And this happens to us. This is something that is all too common among human beings. We talk to one another, and we think we've communicated. But what we've attempted to communicate sometimes isn't received by the other party. Sometimes, you know, I've done this, and maybe you have too, I bet you have, where somebody's talking to you, and you're so busy thinking about what you're going to say next that you don't even really process what they're saying. Okay, so sometimes we talk to one another and we don't receive what the other party is saying. It's a pretty strong human tendency. And what's worse is when we respond to somebody's words without even really receiving them. This is when we say something stupid or inappropriate or we make an assumption that was a false assumption because we weren't really listening. We weren't really receiving the message that was being sent. Now, in our passage for this morning in James chapter 1, James is going to move on from the topic we looked at last Sunday, the topic of temptation. And he's going to begin to talk about how we receive things, how we receive communication. But what's not immediately evident in the context, what's not immediately evident in the first verse we're going to look at, is the context that James is talking about. And that context is not how we receive communication in general, but rather how we receive God's communication, that is, the word of God. This passage we're going to look at, James 1, 19 through 21, is all about how 
people receive God's word. But I want to show you in the context that it's, it, is the God, it is God's word that is being talked about. And so at the end of our uh, session last time, we ended with the verse... Verse 18, which says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Now this phrase, through the word of truth, establishes the topic of today's paragraph. That doesn't become clear until the end of the passage, when, when James refers to the word of truth again. Notice down in verse 21, he says, humbly receive, humbly accept the word planted in you. And so the fact that verse 18 talks about the word and then verse 21 talks about the word tells us that what he's going to address in this passage is how we receive the word of God. All right. And so before we jump into the passage, let me begin by telling you what God is communicating to us. And that is very simply this. God commands us to receive, not react to his word. And again, the human tendency sometimes, especially when we're receiving a message we don't like, is to react rather than receive. Verse 19 is going to tell us when God's word comes to us as Christians, we need to learn to receive, not react to the word that God gives. All right, so let's look at our passage again for this morning. In James 1.19, the first verse of our section, the scripture says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. And again, that's to God's word in context. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And these also refer to God's word. We should be slow to speak when we hear God's word. We should slow, be slow to become angry. But this passage begins with, this, with a couple of phrases that we need to understand. First of all, the first one is, take note of this. The words translated, take note of this, describe for us something that we need to know, something that we need to understand. And often when we tell somebody to, you need to understand this, what we're trying to do is almost lay a foundation, lay a base for everything else we're going to say. And I believe that's what James is doing here. He's going to tell us that this section that we're going to look at and what is taught in this section of Scripture is a baseline. It's a foundation for how we proceed as Christians, for how we live the Christian life. And notice that being a Christian is the topic here because he says, my dear brothers and sisters, as James typically does, often when changing paragraphs, actually, he throws in these notes. One is a note of love. He says, you're my dear brothers and sisters. But the fact that he calls us his brothers, the fact that he calls us his dear brothers, reminds us that he is talking to Christians. And so the instructions that are given in this passage of Scripture, the teaching that we're about to talk about, the command of God that we receive rather than react to God's word, is something that we as Christians need to do and it's something we need to do repeatedly. It needs to become part of our life. It needs to become a habitual way that we experience the word of God. This is how God commands us. 
when, we, when he communicates his word and when it comes into our lives. And it doesn't matter if we're reading God's word on our own, alone, or if we are discussing God's word in a small group context, or we're hearing it taught in a class or in a message like this one. However God's word comes into our lives, God wants us to respond in a particular way. And the passage begins by telling us that there is a difference, or I'm going to begin by telling us that there's a difference between receiving and reacting. There is a difference between receiving and reacting. When we react to something that someone says, we don't receive it. We don't think about it. We just respond to it. We have this phrase, a knee-jerk reaction, right? Which signifies something that is done almost spontaneously, without thought. And when we hear the word of God, there's a strong tendency in all of us, even us Christians, to have that knee-jerk response, to respond, to react, without actually receiving what God's word has to say. And that is especially true. The closer it gets to something that hurts, that is, the more it addresses something that is a habit in your life, or a sensitive sin that you kind of protect. The closer God's word comes to addressing that, the more likely you are to react than to receive the word of God. If you read a passage of scripture or hear a passage of scripture taught, and let's say it's about baptism. And I've met people who don't want to be scripturally baptized for one reason or another. And if you show them passages about baptism, and you talk about how it's something that's God, God's commands of believers, and it's something that is expected for all of us, it doesn't really matter what you say because they're not really processing what you're saying. They're reacting to it. They've already made up their minds that baptism is not for them. And so everything that they do after that is a response. It's a reaction to the message. And you and I do that all the time as Christians, or at least we have a propensity to do that. We have a propensity to react to God's word instead of receiving it. And here's the thing. When I say that there is a difference between receiving and reacting, when we react, what are we actually doing? We're rejecting the message. God tells us as Christians, it's important for us to receive and not react to what his word has to say. Now, now that we've talked about the difference between receiving and reacting, let's look at the first part of the command in verse 19. And in that section, we see that God wants us, God commands us to respond. That God tells us to receive his word. We see that in the phrase, be quick, to hear. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. That phrase, quick to listen, describes our disposition, our stance, you might say, toward the, the word of God. And I like that word stance because it brings to mind baseball for me. All right, What does a baseball hitter do? He has a stance where he is waiting for the ball to be delivered to him. And he is looking for a pitch to hit. And so when I say that this phrase, be quick to listen, describes our stance, what I'm saying is that like a baseball player who is ready 
ready to receive that pitch so he can do something with it. So God calls us as Christians to be prepared. The phrase be quick means to, it has the idea of a, of a continual state. That as Christians, this should be how we are all the time. We ought to have that stance like the batter does. He doesn't casually stand in the batter's box, you know, with his back to the pitcher. He's got a stance where he's ready to receive that pitch. And so it is with us in the Christian life. God gives us his word and he calls us as Christians. He commands us to be prepared for it, to be ready for it. And I want to just lay out for you at the beginning here to, for your consideration. What is your stance toward the word of God? When you come to church, do you kind of come with your hands up, like in a defensive posture? Or do you come with your arms open, metaphorically speaking, ready to receive the word of God? When James says we should be quick to listen, that's what he means. He's saying we should be ready to receive what God's word has for us to, to learn and to know. And once we've done that, once we've uh, come and understood that God tells us to receive his word, we should understand from the rest of the, this verse that God tells us there are two reactions that we should avoid. How do you know if you're ready to receive the word of God? Because you don't respond in these other two ways. All right, and so let's look at what they are. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen. That's the response God wants. That's the stance we should have toward God's word. Here's the stance we shouldn't have towards God's word. We should be slow to speak and slow to become angry. These are the two negative responses. These are the two ways we should not receive the word of God. The first one, be slow to speak, reminds us that there is a tendency in us to rebut things that we disagree with. When you're having a conversation with someone and it ventures into a topic where you disagree about things and they make a statement that you disagree with, it's, very, it's a very strong human tendency to immediately try to rebut that statement, to immediately try to reject that statement, to tell them you don't agree with it. And again, the more careful, the more... Um, Personally, you're invested in the thing that they are trying to talk about. The more quick those rebuttals happen, the easier it is to respond, to react, rather than to receive what is being said. The second response that James talks about here is slow to become angry. And these go together. They're both rebuttals. They're both rejections of what God's word has to say to us. And when somebody becomes angry, anger is a heart response to something that we dislike. It can be an insult. It can be a statement that we think is untrue or one that is untrue of us. But anger is a response to something that we don't like. And as Christians, when we hear the word of God, it often addresses Areas about us that are out of step with God's word, that are out of sync with what we ought to be doing as Christians. And we don't like that. We often don't like being told that what we are doing is sin. Or that the thoughts or desires that we entertain in our hearts and our minds are not acceptable for the people of God. 
So there can be a tendency among us as Christians to react when we hear God's word rather than to receive what it has to say for us. Receiving God's word means I'm going to listen to what it says. I'm going to consider it and think about its implications, and I'm going to compare my life to it. When I'm receiving the word of God, I'm asking, is this something for me? Is there something in my life that I need to change? in accordance with the truth that I've just received. And I can tell you as a Christian in my life that that I've struggled with this. Especially when I was younger. And, you know, less mature in the faith. There were many times I would go to church almost feeling like I had my hands up. And the pastor would begin teaching the Word of God and I would begin to not verbally give objections, but in my mind, I would be speaking. I would be saying, well, you're taking that out of context, or that doesn't really apply to me, or you haven't thought about this particular exception. And And there have been times in my life when I've listened to preaching, and I've felt like when I get angry, it's like I feel it up my neck, like my neck gets really hot and my ears get hot. Like that's That's my physical reaction to anger. And I've felt that when I've listened to preaching where something was stepping on my toes so hard that there was like a physical reaction of anger to it. This is how God tells us not to respond to the word. And I'm wondering how many, how often this happens. And if you're thinking, well, this never happens to me, let me ask you this. When was the last time you heard a message that made you mad? If it was last Sunday, <laughs> And the Sunday before that, and the one before that, then maybe you have the wrong stance. Maybe you're not coming to receive as you ought, but you're coming defensively. You're reacting to God's word instead of receiving what it has to say. Now, as we move forward from verse 19 into verse 20, God is going to tell us why we need to receive rather than react to his word. And there's a purpose for it. There's a reason that God wants us to have this particular stance anytime we receive the word of God. And the way I would describe it is this. It's because God has a goal in mind when he gives us his word. God's goal is to make us righteous by receiving his word. The reason you should receive God's word is because God wants to change you. He has a goal of turning you into a righteous person. And he does it through his word. And if your defenses are up and you never let the word penetrate your heart and your soul, that change is not going to take place. Look with me at verse 20 of our passage, which begins with the word because. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The word because is a word that gives a reason. And in this verse, Scripture, James explains what God's reason is for telling us to be prepared to receive his word and not react in anger to it. And the reason is because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This word righteousness means what is right. It means what conforms to God's will. What is in obedience to God's commands. And the Bible says this is an attribute of God. God is righteous in all of his ways. He always does what is right in every situation. 
And James tells us that human anger does not bring righteousness into my life. Reacting in anger to God's word every time I hear it, or often when I hear it, means I'm not going to receive the the word and it's not going to make the changes that God wants to be made. When it says the righteousness that God desires, that's righteousness in my life as a Christian. God is righteous and he wants me as his child to become righteous like he is. He wants me to do what is right and think what is right. And that's what God's word does for us. God's goal by giving us his word is to make us righteous by receiving his word. Verse 20 tells us that he gave us his word to make us righteous. And we need to understand, I think here, the totality of righteousness and the Christian life. And so if you're looking at your notes, I've given you the table that I'm about to unpack here on the screen. And so you can look at the whole thing in the notes that are provided in our app. But I want to walk you through each piece of it and try to explain to you how righteousness works in God's relationship to humanity. So we're discussing here righteousness and the Christian life. I think this is a crucial thing that all Christians, that all people need to understand. We're going to talk about two different objects, all right? And the object is a person, a type of person. Then we're going to talk about the the theological term. And then I'm going to define what that theological term is. I'm going to tell you what it means. And then I'm going to tell you how God does this in, in that person's life. And then I'm going to tell you how long it takes. All right? And so these are the categories under, under which we'll discuss the righteousness of God. The first one is the object of God's righteousness. And understanding God's righteousness, it begins with sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every, hum, every one of us in humanity, every human being is a sinner in the sight of God. We all begin our relationship with God, cut off from him because of our sin. And if God is going to bring righteousness into a person's life, he's got to start with sinners. And so how does God do that? He does it through justification. Justification is a legal term. And it depicts God as the holy and perfect and righteous judge. Handing down a sentence, gaveling, you might say, into reality. A legal sentence. And what is that sentence? It is declaring the sinner righteous. In justification, God takes sinful men and women and declares the sinner to be righteous in his sight. Now, isn't that unjust? Yes, it would be, except for this. The reason why God can declare guilty sinners to be righteous is because of Jesus Christ. The central tenet of our message, what we celebrated in the Lord's Supper this morning, is that Christ, the second person of God, came into the world, became a human being named Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. What does that mean? It means he paid the penalty in his body for the sins of humanity, for, the, for sinners. Justification works because God's wrath for sin has been satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross of Jesus Christ. And so righteousness comes into your life 
not in reality, but in declaration. In justification, God declares guilty sinners to be not guilty. And how does this happen? Does it happen to every sinner? No. That brings us back to the method. And I call it the method of grace because all of this is the grace of God. It's all the undeserved favor of God in our lives. Justification happens through faith alone. God doesn't say, believe me and work hard and maybe I'll declare you not guilty. No. When you and I were sinners, deserving the wrath of God, if we by faith believe that Jesus died for us, the Bible says... God justifies us. He declares us to be not guilty in his sight based on that, on faith alone. And that's because Christ accomplished everything that is needed for justification to happen. And so that brings us to the timing. How long does this take? It's instantaneous. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you say to God from the heart, I believe that Jesus died for me, for my sins, you are instantly justified. You are instantly declared not guilty in the sight of God. And that justification is permanent. God is never going to relitigate the case against you. He's never going to declare you to be guilty again. And by the way, when we talk about being saved, often we're talking about justification. When we say we're once once saved, always saved, what we mean is once justified, forever justified. And that's correct. Justification is instantaneous and it's permanent. God will never hear a case against you for his wrath again. And so remember the context here. James has said man's anger, human anger, does not bring about the righteousness that God wants. We're talking about the relationship of the righteousness of God to humanity. And what we need to understand is that it begins with justification. God declares you righteous when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not it. That's not the end of it. There's more, and the more is important. And this is where we get to what James has in mind for us this morning. Because once a sinner is justified, that person becomes a Christian. That person is now in Christ. And the term that, but, but God wants righteousness to be true of us. He doesn't just want to declare us righteous and let us continue to sin. No, God declares us to be righteous, and then he goes about remaking our lives so that we actually become righteous in the way that we act, in the way that we think. And the term for this is sanctification. In sanctification, God takes a guilty, sinful Christian and changes us so that we become less sinful in our actions and our thoughts and our motives and more righteous in our actions, thoughts, and motives. And so sanctification means to become righteous in reality. Justification, we're declared righteous. Sanctification, we actually become righteous in the sight of God. We do what is right. Now, how does this happen? What is the method? It's faith and works. Justification happens completely apart from human works. But once you've been justified, the Spirit of God comes into your life. And you have a new nature that we talked about in the last message in verse 18. And the Spirit of God and the new nature desire to live a different kind of life. They work in obedience to God's commands. 
And so sanctification requires faith. It requires us to continue to believe God's words and God's commands. But it also requires us to work those out in our life, to put them into practice through obedience. And as you and I put them into practice in obedience, God purges out our sinful actions, our sinful thoughts, our sinful tendencies. And he builds into us righteous thoughts and actions and tendencies. And so that brings me to the timing. We call this progressive. This means it's going to take the rest of your life for you as a Christian to be sanctified. When James tells us in our verse for this, that we've been looking at here, James chapter 1, verse 20, that you and I should receive God's word instead of reacting to it because the reaction of anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. He is talking about the righteousness of sanctification. He is talking about how God wants you and me, brothers and sisters, children of God, to become righteous like God is. And we only do that by receiving the word of God. If you and I come to Scripture in our reading, in our study, in the preaching that we hear, and we come with our hands up, ready to deflect, if we come in and we get angry when we hear God's word taught, we're never going to receive the word of God in a way that changes us. The only way for us to become righteous, to be sanctified, is to receive the word of God in a way that it changes who we are. So God commands us to receive, not to react to his word. And his reason for doing this is to make us righteous by receiving his word. God gave us his word to make us righteous. And as we look at verse 21, we're going to see this, that becoming a righteous person requires responding properly to God's word. If you are going to become righteous in reality, you're going to have to take all of God's word into your life, even the parts that hurt even the things that would make you mad. You need to receive them and let God change you according to his word. Look with me at verse 21, where James brings all of this together for us. He says, therefore, and that's what I mean by bringing it all together. That's the point. It's like, here's the truth. Now, here's the point. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This passage describes for us in one verse the process of sanctification. It tells us how receiving God's word changes us so that we actually become righteous over time in real life. And the first thing that James tells us, and when, it, when he says becoming a righteous person requires responding properly to God's word, is that there needs to be repentance. All of us come to the Christian life as sinners. And the sin nature within us that we talked about quite a bit in the last two messages on temptation resides in us, even though we are justified in the sight of God. And that means God's word is going to address those sinful tendencies in us. And as it does, instead of getting angry and instead of coming back with a comeback verbally, we need to receive what it says and repent when it addresses our sins. Notice how this verse spells out the repentance that's necessary. James says, Therefore, 
Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. That's step one in the process of sanctification. This is the step of repentance. And when he says to get rid of, the word that's translated get rid of means to take off like a garment. It was literally used of removing a person's clothing. Just as you, when you've been out working in the yard and you get filthy from head to toe and you want to get cleaned up, you take off those dirty clothes and you get rid of them, all right, putting them in the laundry basket or the washing machine or whatever. So the Bible says you and I as Christians, when the Bible addresses us and shows us our sin, we need to take it off. We need to strip it out of our life. And notice how this sin is described. It's described in two ways. I'll I'll use A and B. A is moral filth and B is evil. All right. Moral filth describes our actions. And James uses an offensive set of terminology here. There are things that go on in our world. There are actions that people do that we would say that's morally filthy, but we tend to apply that to other people. James says this moral filth is prevalent. That means it's in us. It's among us as Christians. We do this. And this is reminding us how God views the sins that we do. We think some sins are acceptable. We think envy and lust and gossip and a host of other sins that are so prevalent, they're so common that they don't even bother us. They don't even seem all that bad to us. But in the sight of God, they're filthy. Like a person who shows up to a black tie banquet wearing the gardening clothes that are dirty. So it is in our lives when we continue to practice sin once we become Christians. James tells us if we're going to receive the word, we got to repent of our evil actions. We need to put off these sins that are offensive to the sight of God. But then he goes on and talks about the evil that is so prevalent among us. The word evil there describes what's within us. It talks about our motives. It talks about our lusts, our evil desires. See, God doesn't just want to reform you on the outside. He does want to do that, but he wants to do that by changing you on the inside. God wants to uproot the evil desires that you and I have that we brought into the Christian life with us. He wants to root them out of us so that our actions change accordingly. When you and I hear the word of God, there should be a regular address of the sins that we are doing and the sinful desires that we have within. The question is not, does God's word speak to my sinfulness? The question is, am I receiving it? Am I allowing it to point out where I need to change? And am I rooting out from my life the actions and the motives and desires that are sinful in the sight of God? The first way in which God works on us to change us is through repentance. He tells us to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's prevalent among us. That's step one, repent. Step two, then, is to humbly accept the word planted in you which which can save you. And by beginning with the word humbly, James reminds us that our pride is what gets in the way of our sanctification. One of the reasons why you're not growing more as a Christian, one of the reasons why you're not becoming more righteous, and and me too, is because we're proud. 
We don't like it when God's word points out our sins or our sinful tendencies. And we definitely don't like it when other Christians point out our sins or our sinful tendencies. That's why we get angry. That's why we speak back against the word of God. It's because we lack humility. Pride is the desire to project a level of spirituality that may not be true and often isn't true. A level of righteousness that we actually haven't attained in this life. And one of the reasons why we don't grow more is because we have this pride. James says, get rid of your pride. Humbly receive the word planted in you. Now, when we talk about God's word, we need to understand that God has communicated his word throughout human history in multiple ways. God has given visions. He's spoken directly to humanity. He's sent prophets. And he's sent the scriptures. Because the coming of Christ was the ultimate expression of God's word, all those other ones have ceased. What we have now when we talk about the word of God is all that God has encoded for us in the Bible, all the descriptions of his revelations to humanity. And James tells us if we're going to grow in our faith, we need to accept the word planted in you. And notice that it's planted in us. It was the seed of the gospel that was planted in your heart that caused you to believe in God in the first place. And it's what causes you to believe God's word now. Every time you hear the word of God, As a Christian, there's something that echoes within you, even if you're resistant, that says, yes, this is right, this is true, this is for me. It's because God's word is now planted in you through the gospel. And when you and I come to God's word with a stance that says, I'm going to receive what it has to say, when we say, I'm going to respond properly to the word of God, then we are in a position where God's righteousness begins to work itself out where we start to desire different things. Instead of desiring sin, we start to desire what is righteous. And because we desire what is righteous, we start to do what is righteous in the sight of God. God commands us to receive, not react to his word. And his goal is to make us righteous through his word. But notice the final phrase of our verse, our passage for this morning. At the end of verse 21, James says, Humbly receive the implanted word which can save you. And I told you before that often when we talk about salvation, what we really mean is justification. When you say, I got saved at this date, at this time, when I was at this age, you're saying that's when I received justification. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible uses the word saved in that way too. But it also uses it to describe the totality of God's work in our life, both justification and and sanctification. There is no salvation without sanctification. Now, that's not to say you have to earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. But genuine salvation, real justification, always results in sanctification because there's a new birth within that grows up and becomes something different. When James says the word planted in you can save you, It saves you not only by giving you the message of justification, but it saves you by changing you into Christ-likeness. So that when we receive, when we get to the final phase of God's righteousness, it's not addressed in this text, but it's called glorification. 
This is when we're in the presence of Christ and our perfection is complete in him. That's what God is doing in our lives through his word. And so the point for us as believers, once we understand that God wants us to receive his word and not react to it because he wants to make righteousness in us, the point for us, the takeaway for us, the thing we need to do then is to receive God's word as an intentional act of faith. Our natural reaction to the word of God is that defensiveness. So it takes an intentional act to receive it. And it's an act of faith because we have to believe God's word first before we see its results work out in our lives. And so as we consider what the word of God has for us this morning, the big idea for the message is simply that, receive God's word as an intentional act of faith. How are you doing in the development of righteousness in your life? If you, as you look back over the past month, the past year, the past 10 years of your life, can you see the pattern of God's working in your life, giving you greater righteous desires and greater righteous actions? Because sanctification is progressive, there, can, there will be ups and downs. There are times when we give background and times when we gain more. But over time, we ought to be able to see the growth of God's righteousness in our lives if we're receiving his word. And so that's my exhortation to you. Think about where you are in your growth as a Christian. And if you're stagnating or losing ground, you need to think about your reactions. Are you actually receiving God's word or are you reacting to it? Let me urge you to receive God's word as an intentional act of faith.